Good morning. Boy, what a prayer we just sang together. Cleanse me and make me pure as thou art. It's my desire this morning. One of the things that I enjoy about the Old Testament is how it gives you an overview of a person's life. We could call it, sorry, Brandon, I forgot to turn on the mic. How's that? One of the things I enjoy about the Old Testament is how it gives us an overview, or a a helicopter view, you could call it. I like to, uh, the places that I hunt, I like to go online and pull up aerial photos and look at at it from above. And you can kind of see the whole thing and you get a better feel for how animals would move there. It's kind of what an Old Testament story does, someone's life story. It allows you to pan back and you can see the results, their choices, the outcome of their choices. In the New Testament, we're told that the Old Testament was given for our instruction. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we should through patience and comfort of the Scripture that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Seeing how God worked in the lives of people in the Old Testament gives me hope that God can work in my life, whatever my circumstances are. In Genesis chapter 40, I'm going to Genesis again this morning. Uh, In Genesis chapter 40, we saw Joseph in prison and how he interpreted dreams for Pharaoh's chief butler and chief baker. You'll remember he asked the chief butler to remember him when he was reinstated to work for for Pharaoh and how the chief butler forgot Joseph. That's how Genesis chapter 40 ends with telling us that he forgot him. Genesis chapter 41 opens with two full years later is how the verse begins. Two full years later, at this point, Joseph had been a slave in a foreign land for 13 years. It's hard to imagine more discouraging circumstances. Thinking back, being hated by your brothers, sold into slavery, transported across national borders, and sold again. Falsely accused, thrown into prison, Forgotten by a person you were kind to. Joseph spent his upper teens and his entire 20s between slavery and prison. Seems like a waste. Joseph must have asked, what's going on? What happened to the dreams God gave him? Two full years after the chief butler forgot about him, Joseph is still in prison. Morning dawns and it's another routine day in prison. Not much changes in prison from one day to the next. Joseph doesn't know it, but his life is about to radically change. God has been working in Joseph, preparing him for this day throughout the last 13 long years. I'm going to read the first eight verses in uh, Genesis 41, reading this morning from the NLT. 
Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing on the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile. But these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the river bank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time, he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Dreams were very important in the Egyptian culture. The Egyptians were polytheistic and they believed that the primary way that the gods communicated with Pharaoh was through dreams. So they were very concerned he was very concerned about this dream. Cows coming out of the river was normal. Uh, I remember when I was Micah's age, I'd hear Simon read this verse, these verses, and I, I thought, cows coming out of the river? That's weird. Why would cows come out of the river? However, this was a very common thing in Egypt. The cows would go into the, wade, into the river to get away from the flies and from the intense heat. And that's how they survived the, the hot climate there. And so it was very common to see cows out in the river and coming up out of the river. What was not common was cows eating other cows. And this is what upset Pharaoh. Clearly, something bad was coming. Something bad was going to happen. So he's very concerned about this. And no one, all his magicians and all the guys who specialized in interpreting dreams, couldn't do it. God hid it from them. <clears throat> Let's read on. Verse 9. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker in me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meeting. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was the slave of the captain of the guard. When we told him our dreams, he told us what each of our dreams meant, and everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that you can tell about a dream, that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it, tell you what it means and set you at ease. So here is Joseph abruptly taken from the prison, from another mundane day in prison, suddenly here come the guards. Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you immediately, and you've got to shave. 
you can't go in with that big beard. The Egyptians were very careful about cleanliness and they stayed clean shaven. You would not go into Pharaoh's presence with a beard and, or, and hair on your head. Um, so Joseph needed to shave and they put him into clothes that were fitting to stand before Pharaoh. <clears throat> Joseph's time as a slave and a prisoner has not been wasted. His humility shows. No, Joseph could have, I'm, I'm intrigued with his response. He could have said, yes, Pharaoh, I do interpret dreams. In fact, I've interpreted dreams for some of your own officials. And he could have thought, you know, I have Pharaoh over the barrel. All his, his uh, guys who specialize in interpreting dreams, his magicians can't interpret this. Pharaoh's desperate to know. I've got him. I've, I can bargain with him. He could have said, well, yes, I can interpret dreams, and if you would give me my freedom, take me out of prison, and it'd be nice to have a quarter million dollars, I can do that for you. But he didn't do that. The first thing Joseph does is deflects, he points away from himself. His first words are, it is beyond my power to do this. I believe the New King James says, it is not in me to do this. He's not, it's not me, it's God. God can give you an answer, but I on my own can't. So instead of taking credit for himself, he instead points him to God. Joseph expresses confidence in God in verse 16. He expresses confidence in God and gives credit to God before he's even heard the dream. Pretty amazing. <clears throat> I'm not going to read verses 17 through 24. There Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. It's a repeat of what we just read earlier, the description of his dreams, except one thing that's different is Pharaoh comments that these are the worst these are the ugliest cows he's ever seen. He's never seen any like this in the land of Egypt. But otherwise, it's a, a repeat of his dreams. I'm going to jump down to verse 25. And notice, notice in uh, verse 25, 28, and 32 how Joseph repeatedly points to God. So Pharaoh tells him his dreams. Verse 25, Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I've described it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and He will soon make them happen. So God gives Joseph the interpretation, the meaning of these dreams. 
which he passes on to Pharaoh. And it took a lot of nerve, I believe, to stand before Pharaoh and tell him this. Um, kings don't like getting bad news. But he really gave him bad news. There's going to be seven good years, and then there's going to be seven years so bad, the, the memory of the good's going to even be wiped out. But Joseph repeatedly points him to God, what God is doing, what God is telling him. It's a thing that, one thing that strikes me with this chapter is how God-focused Joseph is. Verse 33, therefore, let me pause a moment here, Joseph is going beyond. He, he, they had requested that he interpret dreams. Here Joseph is going beyond what was requested. And beyond the interpretation, now he's giving Pharaoh unsolicited advice. Through the wisdom God gave him, he's telling Pharaoh what he should do. Verse 33, therefore Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise... This famine will destroy the land. I'm going to go ahead and let's go ahead and just continue through uh, 46. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, "Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God?" Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command, and wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or a foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zephaneth Paneah, and he gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. I want to notice in verse 38, Pharaoh says, ask his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Joseph was simply living a life of faithfulness to God. Joseph was living in obedience to God, and the people around him could see that the Spirit of God was directing him. 
They recognized that. Joseph didn't have to come in and say, I belong to God. I'm one of God's chosen people. No. He lived his life. He followed what God wanted him to do, and Pharaoh could tell. His officials agreed with him, and he is made prime minister, vice president, whatever you want to call it. He's second in command. But he simply, as we saw in the last chapter, he simply lived a life of faithfulness to God wherever he was, whether that's a slave in Potiphar's house or if that's a prisoner in the pit, as it was known, or now standing before Pharaoh. What if Joseph had become an angry and bitter person while he was a slave? Or if during his unfair imprisonment, he focused only on how unfairly he was treated, became bitter. But he didn't do that. You know, I look at this last section that we just read, and, and I think, what an abrupt, what a shocking change. He must have felt like he had whiplash. He's hurried from prison, known as the pit. He's taken to stand before Pharaoh and is made ruler of all Egypt. So in a moment, he goes from a, a foreign incarcerated slave to the ruler of Egypt. Must have been going, what? And yet, I wonder if he didn't think back and say, wow, God, you're doing what you said you were going to do. Joseph remembered. Of course, his family isn't there yet, but Joseph remembered the dream God had given him, his family bowing before him. I think he would have recognized this was a, a step toward that. Notice, just, I'll just go back and notice, notice the things that Pharaoh gave him. He, put him over, he set him over all the land of Egypt. Then he gave him Pharaoh's signet ring. This ring had Pharaoh's emblem on it, and it would be pressed into soft clay, into documents. It was like having, it was like having Pharaoh's MasterCard with all the wealth of Egypt behind it. Basically, he gave Joseph complete financial authority. He had authority over the land of Egypt and he had the finances to back it. He could do, he could implement whatever he thought was best. The ability to do that. He had a new wardrobe. He had a gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his, in Pharaoh's second chariot. Or you could say he had the vice president's limousine. He had a new name even. And his Egyptian name meant something like God speaks and lives. He was given a new wife. I don't know if Joseph had a choice in this matter or not, or if he was simply informed, here's your wife. But whatever the case, he was given a new wife, a zenith. And Joseph now faced what may have been a greater challenge than the challenge than the adversity that he had experienced in the previous 13 long years. A couple quotes. People I was reading that I found very interesting. Gary Enrig said it well. He 
He said, the danger of adversity is that it grinds us down, producing despair and cynicism. The danger of prosperity is that it puffs us up, making us proud, arrogant, and self-sufficient. I believe there are pitfalls in either one. There are opportunities for us to turn away from God in either one. I need God. And no matter whether it's adversity or prosperity, my focus is to be on Him. <clears throat> Puritan Thomas Watson said, people are usually better in adversity than in prosperity. A prosperous condition is not always so safe. True, it is more pleasing to the flesh, but it is not always the best. Many look at the shining and glittering of prosperity, but not at the burdens of prosperity. So that's why I say Joseph may have been in a more dangerous situation. This may have been a greater challenge even than adversity and imprisonment. Because then you realize you're stuck. The dungeon looks like a dead end. You've got nowhere to go. I need God. And when everything goes well and you're prosperous and you have all the money you need in the bank and more, it's easy then to feel like, yeah, pretty good. I can take care of myself. But I need God just as much in prosperity as I do in adversity. The challenge is to remember that. Reading Genesis, we can see that God used adversity to prepare Joseph for prosperity and authority. But I don't think Joseph could see that. He didn't have the helicopter view of his life. He was in the middle of it. Joseph had to live by faith, believing God would fulfill his promises just and continue on with God. He couldn't see. He couldn't say, well, I'm going to go read Genesis 37 to 50 and see what God's going to do with me, what, where he's headed with this. No, he had to, by faith, day by day, living with God. Thirteen years is a long time to wait, but God's timing is always right. Richard Halverson said, to say now to God is as presumptuous as saying no. Repeat that. To say now to God is as presumptuous as saying no. Submission to God's will involves submission to God's timing. And isn't that often hard to accept? I think it needs to happen now. I don't understand. Why would God let this go on? Let's get over it already. But God has a plan, and His timing is always right. Turn briefly to, uh, I can't, I can quote part of this. I should be able to quote all of it. I want to turn to Romans 8. Familiar verse, verses and read 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn of many brethren. I'm going to pause there. All things work together for good to those who love God. It doesn't say all things are going to be pleasant. All things are going to go the way I want them to. No. 
but all things work together for good. And what's the, the goal? We're going to be conformed to the image of his son. God can use whatever I face. If I will turn to him in the middle of it, to conform me to the image of his son, to build character, the character of Jesus Christ in me. And that's what I want. Turning back to Romans 5, just pulling a couple verses there, uh, verses 3 to 5. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I'm going to stop there for the sake of time, but here Paul says, even glories in tribulation. Because of what it brings, it produces perseverance and perseverance character, or proven character. I just lost a quote I was going <laughs> to... I can't, can't pull it up at the moment. <clears throat> In adversity, I will either become a better person or a bitter person. In adversity, I will either become a better person or a bitter person. I will either cling to God in faith or I will shake my fist in anger and close my heart because things aren't going the way I think they should. It's my choice. Joseph didn't get to choose what he would face in life. I'm sure he wouldn't have chosen what he needed to face. We don't get to choose either what we face. What we can choose is how we respond. I cannot choose what I will face in life, but I can choose how I respond. Going back to uh, Genesis 41 and verse 47. Read the next couple verses. As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. Can you imagine what that looked like? And imagine how Joseph felt. Here is what God showed him would happen. He actually sees it happening, and he is part of, he is organizing, gathering this food and storing it, knowing what's coming in the future is going to be worse than this. These bumper crops are amazing. That these bumper crops they're getting will even be forgotten because of what's coming. But Imagine how encouraging it was to Joseph to see this happening. And can you imagine Joseph's popularity at this point in Egypt? I imagine, and it's my imagination, but I, I imagine Joseph is wildly popular. Here's the man who said it would be wonderful crops and he's made places at store. He must have been pretty popular. It would have been easy 
to allow that to go to his head, to become proud and arrogant, to forget God. But we have evidence that that is not what happened. God had prepared Joseph through adversity for prosperity. Verse 50. During this time, before the first of the, of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. The names of Joseph's sons tell us that although Joseph looked like an Egyptian on the outside, he wasn't an Egyptian inside. And even though he looked like an Egyptian outside and had all the power and wealth of Egypt at his disposal, he was still faithful to God. He gave his sons Hebrew names that honored what God had done in his life. Honored God's work in his life. Manasseh means to forget, making to forget. And so every time he said his son's name, hey, to forget, he'd, he'd remember what God has done. God has brought him where God had brought him from. And Ephraim means fruitfulness, or some commentators say doubly fruitful. And God has made him fruitful. He calls it in the land of my grief. So here he is in the land of his grief. But he's fruitful. He recognizes God's hand, God's work. Picking up in, in verse 53. At last, seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck the surrounding, all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people, came from all, people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. All the known world came to buy food from Joseph, from what one man had organized, instructed by God. Now, Joseph is a type of Jesus. Some have counted over 100 similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Don't worry, I don't intend to list all those this morning. But I, I want to mention that there's, there's one here so clear, the whole world coming to Joseph for food. Joseph keeping them alive. Hundreds of years after Joseph, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ to earth as a little baby. Jesus grew to be a man. 
And God the Father allowed His Son to be lied about, mistreated. God allowed His Son to face an unfair trial. Jesus ultimately suffered and died on a cross, even though He was innocent. Should I expect an easy life? Jesus willingly gave His life to save all who will believe on Him. Jesus died for my sin and yours. God brought good out of the most awful and unfair situation that I can imagine. For three days, Jesus' body lay dead in the tomb, and his disciples thought everything they had lived for was gone. And then, in the most powerful demonstration of God's sovereignty the world has ever seen, God broke the power of death, brought Jesus back to life. The resurrection clinched our salvation. Because of the resurrection, Jesus' Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf was accepted. And because of the resurrection, you and I have hope today for the future. Hope beyond this life. And to think of after Jesus was resurrected and before he ascended, I'm going to turn to uh, Matthew before the ascension. Jesus said these words. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus has all authority. And I am with you always, said. We have the promise that Jesus is always with us. We don't have the promise that we will have a rosy life. We don't have the promise that things will go look like I think they should. But we have the promise. The one who has all authority is with us. What else do we need? Turning to... 2 Corinthians, a couple verses here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, reading verses 16 to 18. Think about an, an eternal perspective. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I have to keep the eyes of my heart focused on eternity, or I will lose heart. Not all of us will have the dramatic promotion that Joseph had. Probably none of us will have the promotion that Joseph had. Things will go wrong. Our bodies will age and we will die. Jesus doesn't come back first. I ask myself, 
Do I believe that God is sovereign and good and that He is at work for my ultimate good, whether my circumstances are adverse or prosperous? Really what my circumstances are doesn't matter as long as I turn to Jesus. In either case, whether my circumstances are adverse or prosperous, in either case, my job is to cling to the eternal God like Joseph did. Would you stand, please? Thank you, Lord, that you are always with us everywhere. Thank you that we can turn to you. It doesn't matter if, like Joseph, we're in the pit or at the pinnacle of power. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves. What matters is that we turn to you, follow your lead. Lord, I pray for each of these dear people today. Would you just bless each of us as we go from here with a deep sense of your presence, your care for us. May we keep our eyes on you. Be focused on you and not the circumstances around us. And we will have hope. Thank you that you're alive forever. You offer us eternal life. We thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.